Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The year is 2012. And if you're ready... Let's do it. Listen to this podcast. The movie, Magic Mike. everyone and welcome to unspooled welcome to unspooled where we unspool the greatest films to see if they are classics or just remembered that way i am amy nicholson i am a film critic who reviews for the new york times and i am paul Shear, and i write op-eds for the new york post and let me tell you <laughs> what's up with this airplane food amy i'm so excited to be talking about magic mike today and we're not just going to talk about magic mike we're going to talk about magic mike XXL as well, because you know what? Honestly, they truly are bookends to each other. I mean, they are they are one piece, two chapters, uh, a great pairing, if you will. Indeed, indeed. They are like brie and fine wine. I think by the end of today, you will be ready for Magic Mike's last dance. And it probably will be his last dance because Channing Tatum has gone on record to say that these movies are so hard on him physically to be in this shape and be at this level of peak performance that it it's not fun anymore. Like this third one took a while because he just didn't want to do, didn't want to go there. It's like when you see Hugh Jackman being like, all right, I'm going to be Wolverine again. I, I feel for him. I'm like, Oh, you gave us so much. You don't have to keep on giving it to us, but well, who's more we likely wanna... to claim retirement and take it back. Is it Channing Tatum <laughs> or is it Steven Soderbergh? We shall see. But I think we're going to get into really the dichotomy between these two movies. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And it's one of those rare examples where I think a sequel really listened to the first movie. Because I don't think the first movie is perfect. And the second movie, I think, definitely strives to be better. Yeah, there's something about the second movie that 
makes me think I like the first one even more than I did, but it's because I love the second movie so much. But they are trying to do such radically, radically different things. And so I wanted to go back and rewatch the first one because it is the Steven Soderbergh one. And it is going to be Steven Soderbergh directing the third one. And I wanted to check in with like his goals for this franchise and where the franchise is headed. But you can't deny that the reason why these movies work, it's not about the director. It's not about the writing. It is about one performer. And that is Channing Tatum. And what makes him so goddamn appealing? Like what about him makes you buy into this entire world? I think that he is the secret sauce. Anyone else making this movie, I don't think it goes on to become a trilogy launching TV shows and strip clubs. I I think he is the key to understanding the Magic Mike universe. And what he brings with him, I think, rubs off on the entire cast because the cast here is great. And we'll get into McConaughey and we'll get into how the other characters that were in the background in the first really start to pop in the second one as well. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this because this is the point when I was like, why are they trying to make Channing Tatum a movie star to, oh my God, Channing Tatum is a movie star where I I bought it. This is the movie that made me buy it. Well, Amy, you can listen to today's episode, but you cannot touch it. Let's get ready to unspool it. The year is 2012 and Channing Tatum is about to explode. This year, he's going to star in two movies that are going to prove to audiences that he has amazing range. And he has earned this moment because before this, you know, besides the Step Up franchise, he's played a lot of soldiers and tough guys or soldier tough guys, soldier tough guy romantic hero, like in his Nicholas Sparks movie, Dear John. Why didn't you call me? I mean, did I not deserve any any more explanation than... His Nicholas Sparks movie did not do for him what Ryan Gosling's did, but even doing these kind of lame movies is a big deal. Before this, Shane Tatum was just a college dropout. He did construction. He sprayed Tommy Hilfiger cologne on people at the mall. He did some modeling for Abercrombie. He did a couple of Mountain Dew commercials. What's up? Forgot my Dew. Oh, I've never seen that. Where'd you find that? Yo, you type in Channing Tatum forgot the do. You'll find YouTube comments for days of people being like, I was in love with that guy in that commercial and I had no <laughs> idea who it was going to be. Well, look, he's had a pretty interesting career. But before all of that, he was an exotic dancer in Tampa for eight months between the ages of 18 and 19 under the name, stage name, Chan Crawford. Uh, his agent told him not to talk about that if he wanted people to take him seriously. But Channing likes to reveal himself. So he admits it. Yes, I was a stripper. And you know what? I want to produce and star in a movie about it. Yes, I will dance in it. And yes, I will take off my shirt. Now, at first, he wanted Nicholas Wending Refn to direct it, which, you know, shows that he has good taste. He wanted Refn even before Drive. But over a hot dog, which seems appropriate at the time, Steven Soderbergh got the gig. The movie is, of course, Magic Mike, a low-budget flick about a stripper named Mike, that is Tatum, who wants to go legit, start his own custom furniture business, but he cannot get the dough that doesn't come in singles form. Mike works for an MC named Dallas, that is Matthew McConaughey, and he also works alongside some other dudes. Alex Pettifer as the kid, 
He's a 19-year-old newbie that Mike is supposed to protect. You've got Kevin Nash as Tarzan. Matt Bomer as Ken. Alex Rodriguez as Tito. Joe Manganiello as Big Dick Richie. And for just a little bit of romance, there's also Cody Horn as Alex's sister. This $7 million movie was released on June 29th, 2012 and made a lot of noise. It also made a lot of money. I'm talking $167 million worldwide, enough to forevermore be the top grossing dance movie. And in 2012, Magic Mike plus 21 Jump Street plus being anointed people's sexiest man confirmed that Channing Tatum had come a long way from doing the do. <laughs> so what was in the zeitgeist that weekend of June 29th? Well, the number one song on the Billboard charts was a song all about female desire. In this video, a girl looks out her window. She stares at a working man. That man is there to mow her lawn. That man takes off his white t-shirt. He flashes his abs. She starts fanning herself. And it is on. Classic song. By the way, speaking of Call Me Maybe, I will tell you the one thing about Magic Mike that dates it. There's only one. The cell phone technology. When you see his iPhone and how old it was, whatever version that was, not that the iPhone looked old, but the iOS looked old. And that really was like, wow, this movie came out a long time ago. I didn't realize that it was uh, back in 2012. And by the way, at this point, can we just go in and fix all the cell phone screens so movies can be timeless again, people? That's what I want. I want all of our movies to be timeless in their cell phone technology. I think it's funny that the more hip technology-wise a movie wants to be, the more immediately dated it gets. But I guess this is why Magic Mike 2, a movie that I think we should also talk about in this conversation, because I believe they go together like Alien and Aliens. At the very beginning of the movie, they take all the cell phones and throw them out of the window. I suppose that made you happy. (laughs) Well, yes, because it became timeless. Amy, I've never seen Magic Mike until last night, getting ready for the podcast. I started it at 1030 at night and I'm watching it. I get through. And as soon as I'm done on HBO Max, it's not an ad. um, They say, do you want to watch Magic Mike XXL? And I couldn't hit that button fast enough. (laughs) And I watched both of them back to back starting at 1030 at night. And goddamn, that was a great night. Holy shit. I am mad at myself now two weeks in a row for having a preconceived notion about these movies. And as much as I want to stand here and be like, oh, you know, they shouldn't genderize films and blah, 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 blah. I definitely felt like last week's Notebook and Magic Mike are not movies for me. I appreciate them. I don't make fun of them, but they're not for me. I'm not going to get anything out of it. And let me tell you, I got a lot out of it. These movies are great. (laughs) These movies are awesome. And they're awesome for a lot of different reasons because I would say this movie is as good as some of the plotting and characters are bad. Does that make sense? Like, Like, we're rooting for this guy and his terrible furniture design. Like, it's terrible. We can argue that it's terrible. But at the same time, 
I really want him to get his furniture company. Yeah, what is this furniture even made of? I was like, are those oxygen tanks? Are those no? It's like it's missiles? so it's so gross. It's like stuff that washed up on the beach. It looks like he's gotten shells from some sort of you know like missile testing, and he made a a junky coffee table out of it. I mean, in his defense, 2012, I believe that was the high peak of mason jars are hip again. Okay, all now of our it's weddings all- <laughs> are going to be held in barns. I think that's around the right time. Um, right. But I want to say a couple compliments to you, sir. One, bravo. Bravo for coming to these movies, if late, with an open mind. I find it uh, to be a point of interest that these movies that you just assumed probably were not for you are both movies about female desire. I find mm-hmm. that also an interesting through line. And yeah. I am so glad that you are leading the charge to say, Hey, these movies are great. These movies are for everybody. And also, I want to say, I've seen both of these movies a few times. I watched Magic Mike also on HBO Max. This is not an ad. And I also immediately watched Magic Mike XXL again right when it was over because that movie is so great. Well, I'll I'll tell you my first thought about Magic Mike, which is it's Rocky. In many ways, this is... What Stallone did with Rocky, Channing is doing with Magic Mike. Now, granted, Channing is at a point in his career where he's gotten some chances. Obviously, he is already broken through on a little bit of a level like we talked about. But He's been in a G.I. Joe movie, but people are like, oh, yeah, that guy from a G.I. Joe movie. You know, this is a point when we have a surfeit of pretty buff, like, white dudes jockeying right. to be the next, like... The next Sam Worthington. It's not exactly easy to break out of this pack and be taken seriously. And I think what's so interesting about it now as I look at Channing's trajectory, you know, over these years, is he's a really smart businessman because he financed this movie. He and Steven Soderbergh. Now, for them to put their own money up to gamble on this, I can only imagine how much money they have made off of this. We're talking about Magic Mike. The movie goes on and makes $167 million. Then we're talking about sequels. Then we're talking about Vegas stage shows. We're talking about a reality show on television. All these Magic Mike-like arms have reached out in the last decade. All going to show you, if you do something incredibly specific and different, it may not be the thing that the studio might finance, but it could be that thing that really breaks through. And this movie doesn't look like an indie movie. This movie looks like a big, glossy studio picture, baby. Now, I have not seen the Magic Mike reality show that just came out. It's called Finding Magic Mike, but I want to listen to a little bit of the trailer because it really cracked me up. We've searched the country to find guys who feel like they've lost their magic. I just want to feel more strong and confident in who I am. We want to help them find it. Never in a million years would I have thought that I was going to be twerking on Whitney Cummings. <laughs> We're going to judge these guys on their attitude, on their ability to be sexy. I have never had a penis this close to my face and not sucked it. On their ability to dance. That is so cool! Really, their ability to grow. I can't do this right now. I can't do this right now. Part of what I find fascinating is that this reality show is all about how male dancing is a, perhaps a route to empowerment for you, the man doing the dancing. 
getting in touch with yourself as a sexual being, finding your own passion. And I want to say that that's where Magic Mike is today in the year of our Lord, 2023. But this movie, Magic Mike, that begins it in the year of our Lord, 2012, is like, you should probably not do this as a career. It's terrible for you. And that's a big switch, you know, to go from the happy ending of Magic Mike being like, he danced and he walked away, to now being like, hey, we should all find our own Magic Mike, that this is a path of tears and joy and pleasure. That's fascinating. Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm glad you're bringing this up, because I want to talk about these two films a lot in the way that they intersect each other. And I'm sorry if you haven't watched both of them, uh, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying, which is... The first film really, I think, puts forward the idea that everything is business. A gig is a gig is a gig. And, you know, it's all to maybe a greater end or it's just something to get by. It kind of makes every interaction commerce. And the second movie is about finding passion in your work, about finding joy in your work and not just doing what people expect you to do. And I was thinking about that in regards to Channing Tatum, you know, because here's a guy who is doing all the right things. He did this Step Up movie. He does a Nicholas Sparks movie. He does the G.I. Joe movie, right? And he is fulfilling a role. It's all just, I'm an actor. I'm doing this commerce. And this is a moment where he really puts himself out there. I think that 21 Jump Street positions him in a great way too. I can't ignore that as far as just showing how funny he is and how great he is. But this movie allows him to break the mold, tell another side of his story. And then I think everything that I've seen with Channing Tatum as he's gone on with his career is finding this joy. Like, didn't he just take a break for a while? Like, he's like, I'm going to stop making movies. And he came back with that movie about the dog. Yeah, which is actually really good. He co-directed that with Reed Carolyn, who wrote this movie. They have this long-term production partnership. He directed himself as a veteran with, like, a really mentally fucked up German Shepherd dog that's been in the wars too much. And I had to watch this movie for work. And I was like, good God, this is going to be awful. And I loved it. I actually loved it. Last night, I went to go see Magic Mike 3. And when I came home, I put on the dog movie again. That's how good that movie wow. is. But it's because there's something special about Channing Tatum on screen that I'm really trying to articulate in my head to myself, which is that he's this guy who I think a lot of his characters have in common this sort of, I'm an ordinary dude thing. You know, like he can put right. on a hat and kind of disappear into a crowd. 
He doesn't, you know, walk into a room with like a Tom Cruise kind of electric energy. He can be laid back. He can kind of make fun of himself. And yet at the same time, he has just unbelievable skills at dancing, like unbelievable control. And I feel like there's something in him that kind of dovetails the energy of being a male exotic dancer. You know, like being a male exotic dancer is kind of silly. Like when he talks about it, I mean, like here is his exact quote from when he was dancing. And he heard about this job, by the way, like on the radio when he was a kid. He said, quote, the more you try to look sexy, the lamer it is. So you just have to commit to the comedy and the skit because that can be hilarious. If it's a fireman skit, it has to be the corniest possible version of a fireman. That's really interesting because I think I was wrestling with the same idea. Like, what is it about him that is so damn engaging? Like, I am fully in on him from the minute I see him. And there is this casualness that we're not used to seeing. And you were talking earlier about this hunt. Who is the next big male star? And here's a guy that has a lot of the things that we like in our male stars. They're attractive, but they have this light touch. It's very like Harrison Ford and the energy. Like you could see him playing an Indiana Jones kind of character, which he did do uh, kind of recently. Or I guess it's not really an Indiana Jones character. It's a character trying to be Indiana Jones. But, oh, you mean uh, the, the Sandra Bullock movie? Yes. The Lost City? He's very fun in that too. He's, He's like, uh, he plays like a guy who's a, a romance novelist cover boy. Right. Who has all these like useless muscles. And then he's like, oh no, I'm in a situation of actual danger with the girl I have a crush on. Amy, I'm wrestling with the same point. Like, what is it about Channing Tatum that makes him so damn appealing? And I think you hit the nail on the head. He is someone who is amazingly talented as a dancer. He is someone who is amazingly built, right? So you can just look at him and like, damn. He also is this person who has the lightness of touch in everything that he does, it feels so casual, almost as if he's not saying lines, like they're just improvised moments. And this opening scene of Magic Mike, where we meet him, and he's waking up, you know, he's late for work, he's had a three-way the night before, his girlfriend, in quotes, I don't know, it doesn't seem like they're super serious, but it also seems like they have something, you know, are having this little funny interaction about, who is this girl in our bed? Like, what is her name? We both forgot it. He's constantly disarming you. He is better than you. He is better looking than you. He is cooler than you. But he is disarming you by putting his arm around you. And I think the relationship that he has with Alex Pettifer, the kid in this movie, is the relationship that he's kind of taking the audience on. Like, come with me. I got you. Don't worry about it. I got it. And it's a real ease that he has everything of an alpha, but really is acting like a beta or or at least in control or in the pocket with his emotions. It's a different thing. I think a lot of our action stars aren't allowed to show like a heart. And if they do show heart, it's melodramatic, right? Or if they, you know, or if they show that they're tough, it's overly strong and he kind of falls in this middle ground i think ryan gosling has a similar tendency but ryan gosling i think sits more on the outskirts of very dark movies or a very heavy drama so i don't think that we get to see it i think heath ledger had an energy like this too um 
in Knight's Tale. But there's something very unique to this type of person that I, I that I'm fascinated by. Yeah, it's almost like an alpha plus plus where mm. you're so alpha that you don't have to prove it to anybody. Yeah. Because, you know, it's kind of like the weaker betas who act like alphas, right? Like, no, right. no, no, man, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I got it. And it's like when you are so, God, I hate talking like a 4chan boy, but, but when you are so confident in your masculinity that you can be the butt of the joke, that you can do ridiculous, goofy things on screen, it makes you look more confident. Like, I think there's a reason why I respond a lot more to Ryan Gosling in The Notebook where he is kind of goofy and heartbroken and he makes fun of himself and he says pancakes like a weirdo, then I am the Ryan Gosling in Drive, where he, he seems like he's trying harder to impress you. I agree. I think I was only familiar with Ryan Gosling from those films like Blue Valentine and Drive. I definitely see that side of him in La La Land, which I know you have a bigger opinion on. I won't get into that, but I'm just saying, but that's the Ryan Gosling I feel has that alpha plus energy. Now I will say this. I've had a couple of moments where I've hung out with Channing Tatum um, and everything that you see on screen is exactly what he is like in person. He can take over a room. There was one time I didn't know him. I was at a Super Bowl party in New Orleans. Uh, Super Bowl had just happened there and I was at this bar. Channing came in and everyone's a buzz that Channing Tatum is there. Uh, But he's also coming in on a level where he's not behind a velvet rope. It's kind of an open party. It's a mix of people. It's a cool little bar. And this girl just kind of comes up to him and gives him a little, like, serves him a little something. When I tell you that he broke out into a full-blown fucking dance routine and they both were serving each other in the middle of this bar. It was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It was so fun. It was so cool. I've never seen Step Up in real life. It wasn't somebody that was in his party. She was just somebody that was just in the bar, a regular bar patron. They did this routine. He did it. It was awesome. He put back on his hat and walked right out the door. And I'm like, if I'm seeing that, In a moment where there are no cameras, there is nothing like this is that guy. This is him. And that was the moment where I was like, whatever this guy does, I'm on board with because (laughs) he just seems cool as shit. I've never seen anyone break into an impromptu dance for no reason with a stranger at a bar. And it wasn't like getting her number, wasn't doing anything. It was one of the most electric experiences. Another time I hung out with him. He's this kind of party starter. Like he walks into a room and I was in a room with, not to brag, some very, very big people. And it's like, he's a magnet of fun. And I think that whatever that is, is something that he's figured out how to translate, especially into this character. Because I think this Magic Mike character and watching these two movies is the closest thing to Channing Tatum. I think you see elements of it and other things, but they're more heightened. He's either very dumb or he is, you know, a little bit more um, low-key. Sometimes I think he actually plays like the, um, like the, the beta. Like, you know, I think, you know, like in 21 Jump Street, I feel like he, he plays the number two in a way. Like he's not leading it like that. And I, and I, I'm interested, like this movie, I think really shows him at 
what he's like in life. And it makes sense that it's based on his life because it feels like everything is super organic and, and, and natural. Yeah. I mean, he is kind of this combination character of Mike and also the kid. Like, he's a guy who was supposed to go to college on a football scholarship and it just didn't work out for him and it kind of all collapsed. And he is a guy who was like the kid's age dancing at a nightclub in, in Tampa, which I think was called Male Encounter. Wow. I looked up to see if it was open and it it closed, but like there are still a bunch of male dancing clubs in Tampa, like Florida Thunder, Savage Men in my favorite. I love it. Hunkomania. But it is him. And I think what I really like about it is, you know, there are there are performers who like came from doing some exotic dancing, you know, on kind of a scale of it. You know, Chris Pratt said he used to dance naked at bachelorette parties or probably in a thong. Lady Gaga did some burlesque. Uh, Javier Bardem said he exotic danced for a day and then he just felt so awkward. He never did it again. He was just kind of a goofball. Brad Pitt in college made money uh, in a club called the Dancing Bears, where they would go to um, sorority houses and do a little bit of a bump and grind. But none of those are exactly the same as getting on a stage as a kid doing this dance for like money, getting stuffed in your pants for several months, like legit actual career, which, by the way, when clips of this leaked, there was sort of a tone in the air of like, oh, my God, how embarrassing for him. Although, is it that embarrassing when you hear just how much the crowd is going nuts for Chan Crawford? Like he took a thing that could have been embarrassing and kind of treated it with his lightness that we're talking about. He's like, I'm, it, he said, it's nothing I'm ashamed of and I'm not proud of it either. I wanted to talk about the beginning, but my publicist wouldn't let me. He's just like, yeah, this is me. There's kind of a confidence to that. It is like, I want to build a whole theory about how like, yeah, man, when you're up on stage and you have a direct relationship between a dollar bill in your pants and how well you're amusing a crowd. That must train you in some way of like audience relationship for the rest of your life. But then I was like, is that that different than doing improv where you're also really aware for like minute to minute crowd reaction or stand up where you're very aware of minute to minute crowd reaction. But then I don't think of standups as being the most reactive performers. I think of them as being kind of like, here I am and take it or leave it. Da, 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 da. Mm, and chanting is you, something different. I think you read the crowd. I think any live performer is reading the crowd. You might fight through it. You might eat shit but you are you are reading the crowd and the crowd is fueling you like there's that idea that if you go up on broadway there are bad audiences the show isn't changing but there are nights that the audience is fully into it you can't change it on the fly you know but there are stand-ups i've seen this i've done this like oh we're going down a route that it's not working i gotta change course maybe we can come back to that but i have to adapt to what's going on I, I just want to like highlight this idea. The underlying theme of Magic Mike to me is, and what's the big deal? What's, if I do a mobile detailing or if I, you know, do roofs on houses, like why is that different? I'm getting paid $20 an hour to put a roof on a house. Why is that different than stripping in 
a club. And I think part of it is this repressed sexual nature that America has, 100%. Like, that we would devalue that. Like, that is not worthy to be talked about. Where, in many respects, there's so much more talent going on there. There is so much more life there. I think what they've done in the second film was really embrace that because I do think that the the issue that this first film falls into for me is it kind of does a mini version of Boogie Nights in the third act. I'm like, oh, okay, why do I care about this? I was having so much fun and now you're bringing me down this rabbit hole. I don't know what the lesson is because I'm getting one thing from watching them and I'm getting another thing from this storyline. It felt very movie-like and I think like, the idea of how they jettison that in the second one to be like, no, 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 we're going to do this. Not to say that strip clubs are the best place and it's super cool and and it should all be open, but I do think that the movie tried to do something that it wasn't leading up to for a long time. And that's the only thing that kind of gets me off of it. It kind of follows that moralistic road. Like, you know what? And this is a place that will bring you down in the end. It's like it becomes a movie that has a moral that I don't think you need because I think the movie is saying the first movie is saying like, what's the difference? Why yeah, is he's this just, bad? He's hustling no matter what, right? He's hustling he's not doing... for dollars and it's a hustling world and everybody has to hustle unless you're super rich. And he's not treating people badly. No. Like he's not, he's not stealing money. He's showing people a good time. Yeah. Like when you think about it to introduce him with like, yeah, I had a threesome and I don't remember this girl's name. That could actually turn you off of a character from the beginning, right? Like if you just played those same lines a little bit differently, but there's an ease to the way that he plays it where you're like, okay, it's fine. And I think that is something that frustrates me about the first one too, is like, you go down a pretty far road with him being like, I respect what he does. He's great at it. You know, listen to how much he just like gets the crowd worked up when he does pony, which by the way, was his song when he was a dancer. So they absolutely had to get it. I clip, I pulled the moment where you hear the crowd go nuts when he like lifts up that woman in the chair Oh, and yeah. then drops the chair. By the way, as a person who is terrified whenever I get lifted up by the ground, the fact that this movie knows that one of the things that women are just like, oh, about is the idea that we could be held by somebody in the air and not get dropped. Like, I don't know what it would yeah. be like to even relax into that, to be like, I can be held and you're not going to drop me. Like it, this movie really hits that nerve. As a man, I feel like that too. Whenever people want to do these like stiff as a board, light as a feather, or you've gone to weddings where people sit on chairs. And, I don't, I don't want it. I don't, I don't trust it, but I would trust Channing. Exactly. But then like from there to kind of go down this Boogie Nights road that you're talking about. Matt Bomer is like letting Alex Pettifer grab his wife's boobs. Everybody's there and everything's crazy. And Riley Q is there with her pet pig, which is just such a perfect touch. This is okay. So okay with it, man. She loves it. I fucking love you. No, no, I love you. No, you don't understand. I fucking love you. I fucking... <laughs> I fucking love you, man. I love you, man. I fucking love you. Such a fucking special soul. Mm. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. And that bums me out because it is moralistic. And I don't feel like we need it. And it does bum me out like that this movie that in a way is like, 
here's a legit career. Look how good they are. Has to end with the fact that Magic Mike cannot find love or peace or happiness until he quits. Like what? Really? Well, until he has to say he's done. And I think that there's an easier movie to tell, which is Dallas fucks him over. Like that, that to me feels like it's not a moralistic movie. That's just sort of saying, hey, if everything is commerce, then everyone's trying to get ahead and you should never trust anybody to protect you because at the end of the day, everyone's looking out for their own best interest. And that to me is a a much more digestible storyline to follow than this weird drug one because it also puts Channing Tatum in this world of like, he didn't protect the kid even though he told him not to. It gets a little complicated and I feel like, look, there are seams in Magic Mike that you can see. This idea that Channing Tatum had this conversation with Steven Soderbergh on the set of Haywire. Oh yeah, I used to be a stripper. I think that would be a good movie. Then a year later, Steven Soderbergh is talking about the next movie he's going to do. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm working with Channing Tatum on this stripper movie. And he's like, what? And they have that chance encounter over a hot dog. And Soderbergh's like, if you can get me the script before I go to Cannes, we'll make this movie. And he does. And they write it. And basically, you know, his producing partner, uh, Reed, is taking every anecdote that Channing has ever told him and just jamming it into the script. I think that there's elements here that Channing has talked about. He's like, look, if I told you the real version of the strip club, you would never want to watch this movie twice. So I do think there is a version of this movie that is a rushed movie. So you're getting like, all right, what's the third act? Oh, okay. It gets bad and gets out. I also think there's a version of this going- Okay, sure. Right. He has lots of girls. Really? The most boring girl. And then there's this other element where he's like, I don't want to just make the strip club so nice and tidy because I was actually there and that's disingenuous. So they fall in this middle ground of like cliche movie making and trying to, I think, make it quote unquote realistic that I think really screws with the third act. And it left me, I'll say like, a little bummed. And if it wasn't for that final scene in the end of Magic Mike, where he's sitting with the boring girl, the sister, and they have this really cute conversation about breakfast. And this has been the runner throughout the whole movie. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the movie. That's the guy. That's the guy that I opened the movie with. The three-way guy who has a nice relationship with women. Like, And to your point, I think the reason why you can get away with him not remembering a girl he had a three-way with is because the girlfriend doesn't either. They're both like they there's an energy that's not vindictive or mean. They're just partiers. Like they're partiers in a fun way, right? It's just like it's it is a one-night stand, and that's okay. Like that's you know, again, we're like, what are we putting on moralistically to be like, oh, that's a bad thing? Like, no, it's fine. And I feel like that last moment endears us to him. It doesn't end on it just ends on an emotional moment. And this is what I want to kind of bring to you which is, yes, this is a movie about men, but I would say this is a movie about men who are more in touch with their feminine side than anything. This movie is the anti-masculine um, film. It's, you know, I can have all these things that are traditionally viewed as like alpha male, you know, but everything that they speak about here is really emotional, heartfelt dreams, wants, desires, these characters get hurt. Like when Mike sees Olivia Munn, this girl that he's kind of on again, off again, seeing like he doesn't really, he's like, 
a girl on the side that he's never going to really commit to. But when he finds out that she's engaged, he's hurt. And I feel like that's something that we don't see that level of emotional awareness. And oftentimes when you see it in a, a romance film, it's only to the other woman. But this is to the world. These men are all open to the world. Yeah. I mean, they're in the back in their green room talking about their skin looking ashy. You know, and the right. actors are like in the press talking about how much it sucked to get waxed. And I feel like sometimes in these green room scenes, there feels like a little bit of like airlessness. Like Soderbergh is after such realism that the movie f- kind of drags in scenes where I want it to be more fun. Yes, I am. All right. So we got your first little piece of business. Bam! I look ashy to you. What's that, man? I look ashy. Hell, man. Heads up. Get a little, just a little, a little spray on that calf there. Come on. Come on. Dude, I don't want to spray your leg. Just do it. We all yeah. to do it, man. It's part of it's like initiation. Lord of the Flies. Come on. Boom. Come on, kid. Help out. All right. We're going to tip you out good at the end of the night to be a happy man. All right. Make sure you massage it in good. But that said, sort of that looseness is also what makes it work. There's also that scene, a couple scenes right before the ending, where to place this in the emotional arc of him and his sort of relationship with that sort of blonde girl is, you know, she's already gotten mad at him for getting her brother so like trashed out on pills that a baby pig is like literally eating his vomit. Which, Oh, my God. Right. By the way, uh, greatest pig party scene uh, since sunrise. Greatest pig cameo. Uh, it, but like she screamed at him. She's already yelled at him. She's already been like, you're going to be a 30 year old stripper. I'll oh, oh, fucking kill you. I, I will fucking oh, kill you. He's going to be fucking. He's not okay. He's, calm down. No, shut up. Shut up. We fucked up. Shut up. I see you, Mike. I fucking see you. You think you have your shit all figured out and everyone will figure it out, but I fucking see you. Okay. You just need to relax. You're acting fucking crazy. No, Mike. And I get it. You are a bullshit 30 year old male stripper. <laughs> okay. How about just get the fuck out? No, no problem. Adam, come on. Adam, wake the fuck up. And then the next time he sees her, she's sort of calmed down and he's trying to explain to her his big emotional moment. Like, here's a movie named Magic Mike. And he's like stuttering over even saying the phrase Magic Mike. And this is a thing where I feel like it could have been scripted in a way that felt so phony. But the way that Channing Tatum stutters through it, can't really dredge up the words, is kind of like off again, on again, making his points. That helps this movie feel real, even if I don't really want the movie to feel this real or this depressing. I just can't be around your lifestyle. And you can't be around my... That, I'm not my lifestyle. That's who you think of the... That isn't fucking... I'm not... Am I magic... Am I, my, am I magic Mike right now talking to you? I'm not my goddamn job. That's not who I... That's not what I... That's not what I do. That's, I mean, it is what I do, but it's not who I am. I'm not just... That's why I want to go to Miami, because I don't want to fucking be some 40-year-old stripper. I want to own something. I want to actually... I've been trying to fucking this whole time try to... But that said, the movie that I really kind of thought I was seeing when I saw this for the first time is actually Magic Mike 2, where they're just having fun and there's a lot of dancing. Because this was sold as, like, the sexy, crazy movie. And then you got in and it was like, the no, this is bad movie, which is a bit of a bummer. Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. 
with a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Well, you you talked about Magic Mike XXL being the aliens to Alien, right? Like, where Aliens 2 is the bigger, more fun James Cameron action film, and Ridley Scott does the more low-key horror monster in a room type of movie yeah the one where all the personalities come out the one where everything's actually fun where you really are seeing the movie that you want to see well and and magic mike too i think they lean into this these improvised moments like that scene between donald glover and uh matt bomer like that's clearly improvised it looks so improvised and that's not a bad thing you know you have these moments where these characters are fucking with each other and it yes they said oh it's this is all off the cuff it's like you start to realize who these characters are and then magic mike 2 does something that i've never seen before which is it makes you regret how underwritten the characters were in the first movie because they all come alive in the second movie and they basically in this like movie kung fu they cut away everything that was overdone get rid of the kid get rid of dallas yeah they basically Um, take the two characters who like dragged everything down and made it toxic and they're like they live in macau now it's over yep and it's like and now let's get rid of my girlfriend we did have a good relationship but it's gone like let's just get it down to bare bones and what you're finding is bare boners bare boners sorry bangy sorry bangy um but what you find i think is what you were saying about Channing Tatum in the beginning. It is about your personality. What are you bringing to this? What ease do you have that makes everybody want to have fun with you? It doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. And he lets his actors, like all of a sudden, like that, you know, that big dick Richie, I'm like, oh, I'm 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 heartbroken for this guy who can't find a woman who has a big enough vagina for his big old dick you know and and uh you know but it's like i mean he could stop pumping it up so big but yeah (laughs) which by the way in magic mike one that was his actual member and that apparently uh made him pass out on set uh because he was pumping it so much um and i think that this is the difference between soderbergh like i i love steven soderbergh movies but i do think that soderbergh is really great at showing like I think he knows how to make a really fun movie and it felt like he was conflicted on two sides of it. He wanted to show like the gritty indie, but he also was making the Ocean's Eleven fun big movie. And it's like, and the movies are, in in Magic Mike 1, the movie is, I think, a little bit at war with each other. And I only see it more clearly by seeing the second one because the second one is, I think, emotionally more fulfilling. I think it's more fun. And I also think it tells a better story, even though the story is so much less. It's just like, we're going to go to this place and perform one last time. But it is all about these men 
finding their voice. What do I really want to do? What do I really want to say? Who am I? Instead of you telling me what you want me to be, I'm going to be who I am. And I thought that was like such a cool, empowering message. Yeah, my boyfriend refers to Magic Mike 2 as the rare movie that doesn't have conflict. He's like, you're just going to a movie to enjoy it. And I I pretty much agree. Yeah, they throw away their cell phones. Yeah, there's like a little file. The car get you know <laughs> flips over. But there's no but also, problem. It's like entourage. No yeah, yeah. And what? And yeah, when you start Magic Mike two, five minutes in, you're like, oh my god, Big Dick Richie said more words in the first five minutes than he got to in like the entire other movie, like combined. You know, and it's just lovely to get to see their personalities come out. Like, I don't think I would be as frustrated with one. And I was frustrated with one even when it came out because it felt Mm -hmm. a little claustrophobic and punishing at at times. But then I was more frustrated with one after I saw two. And I was like, you had all of these actors with all of this charisma and you didn't let them use it because you were interested in money and finance. And I get it. Like Stoddard had been wanting to make Moneyball and said he made this. And so I feel like he put a lot of his, you know, post 2008 economic collapse into this movie. And I like that element of it in here. But it kind of drags it all down. Well, I think because it's a darker through line that I believe could have been lighter, but I think they were trying to say something. Like, and I don't believe that strip clubs are as bad as... Channing Tatum says they are? Well, no, I'm sure they are. (laughs) I I am sure they are. But I guess it's like, (laughs) but again, I feel like it's... I think anytime that you ascribe like a a moral judgment on a place that already is in our America's eyes, something forbidden like sex work, uh, you know, adult films, strip clubs. Like we know we have a couple of things that we like, Oh, well we know that that's bad. You almost can't make a movie where you, you don't see a downside. And I think by taking that away in magic, Mike two, you're just allowed to have fun. It's like, yeah, these are look, they're, they have their own issues. They're going to find their thing. But this is not the story that we're telling. We can also just have a fun time. Like when you go to a strip club, I don't need to sit there and go, oh, what is actually going on behind the scenes? What is that dancer really like? It wrecks the illusion. Yeah. I mean, I will say like my experience to strip clubs is, I would say, targeted. Like I know mm-hmm. Jumbo's Clown Room here in L.A., which is kind of the lighter which is kind of not, yeah. party club one, you know, right. where like. It's just fun. We used to go there all the time on Christmas Eve because the girls would wrap themselves in wrapping paper and then unwrap themselves. And it was just the loveliest, funniest time ever. Um, I've been to like one of the really expensive ones once in Vegas when I had to go Mm -hmm. there for a convention. And one of my male coworkers was like, we're going. And that was probably the closest I've ever been to like kind of a legit female strip club that felt a little, it felt a little dark in there. But I have been uh, to two male strip clubs in vegas both for bachelorettes one was thunder from down under which was cornball in the way that like this first magic mike is kind of cornball with like cops and firemen basically like men dressed up like paw patrol uh (laughs) and i get why like channing tatum makes fun of it early on in magic mike too he's like we're not doing that anymore and then i did go to another bachelorette party that was at the magic mike strip club uh which is amazing like it was amazing because because, like, I'm trying to explain to myself even what it was. It felt like a shared experience, you know, with all with you and all of the women there. It, In my view of, like, going to a male club, it kind of felt like 
you're sitting there, you're like kind of a guy or guy, two guys together, maybe giving dollars to a lady. But there was something in the female room that felt like all of us were friends, even if we didn't know each other, like everybody was in on it together. And so it was like a kind of not even just like a concert, but like a concert plus, like you're all doing something out of the ordinary. You're all doing it together. Your screams are making other people scream. You know, the liberation that you feel in being able to scream is also part of it. Like the vibe was just there's sort of this innocence to it where you don't have even the question come into your mind of like, oh, these poor guys, do they have like daddy issues or mommy issues? Do they need me to save them so they can finish school? There's none of that power dynamic. It just feels like a job that they can do and it's fun and nobody has to be ashamed of anything. That you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Women are smarter, right? If we're going to make a big, (laughs) bold, general statement, women are smarter in this environment. They're going there to have a good time, to enjoy a show. I think men, again, I'm making big, sweeping generalizations. There is probably something in the back of their heads of like, oh, this person really does like me. This, like, they're buying into it in a different way. I think that women can walk away from it. I've, I, I know so many women who get like strippers and it's like, it's goofy. It's like, it's, it's not goofy. Like it's not, um, not, not sexual, but it's like, it's just, it's received much lighter. Right. And yeah, that's like a sharing almost of vulnerability. If I can phrase it that way, like the man is doing something outside of the comfort zone for men, which is being sexy, naked, vulnerable, putting in so much effort, more effort than you would think. And the woman is being vulnerable by being picked up on stage, thrown around by expressing physical desire in front of people. And I will say that what brought this home for me, because I saw Chippendales, the Hulu series, before I saw Magic Mike. And I think the reason why Chippendales, which was, you know, this very famous male strip club was so successful was because of how they approached what it was. It became a performance. You know, it became something. And when you watch these performances, and yes, there are some, I guess, quote unquote, lame ones in here. They're all really impressive. They are. Like they like the stage, the production values, like the the first night that the kid is there, he's in charge of props. And you watch this night, uh, you know, a montage of moments. And the whole movie is like a montage of moments. The different numbers are coming. Like they're rehearsing. Like they are doing a Broadway show. I mean, you know, and it, yes, and they're stripping, but it felt like there is a true workmanship in, we want to perform for you and we're giving you this kind of fun spectacle. I think it goes into the drag world as well. And, and I think that like, that's why in a, in a way magic Mike XXL tips its hat to the, the drag world. It also tips its hat to, the black world and the, the the world of black stripping because it's like they're both are not represented at all in Magic Mike. And, and I guess you don't need to, but it it is shocking. You're like, oh yeah, right. We didn't even, there are differences. There are different things here. Like let's explore that as well. Like I think they open up the, uh, they open up the lens a little bit to show you like, no, we go to these places having a good time. And maybe to bring this all the way back to what we were talking about is, when you watch a movie about this, and it brings us all the way back to this point that we've been talking about. Magic Mike, the first film, 
brings you in like, let's have fun. You are out tonight. It's you're going to the strip club. You're having drinks. You're screaming. You're hooting. You're hollering. And then about 40 minutes into the show, the show stops and the performer on stage says, um, I got two kids at home and, uh, you know, I'm in a terrible relationship. And you're like, oh, I thought we we're having. Oh, OK, we're having fun. And that's not to say, like, I know Channing Tatum said, like, yeah, like a strip club has turned him to drugs and there are certain things that he did. But you can't play that on an audience. I don't think you can play that on an audience. It's sort of like you got to go in that way. But you can't switch, flip the script. I, I think the Boogie Nights shows you the intoxicating world of like pornography. And I think part of what changes in in Boogie Nights is not it's not a condemnation of pornography. It's a condemnation of the industry changing. And the industry changing changes them. Yeah, the industry makes their work more disposable. So then they act yes. more disposable. And everybody kind of has to turn against each other for dollars. But this movie takes place over the course of a couple months. So it's really just like the kid's yeah. disintegration. And so quickly. the kid kind of sucks from the beginning. You know, like he has that conversation early on with his sister where you're just like, oh no, this is this guy's just already a fuck up. What time does he be at work? I need to talk to you about that. What? The former in uh Yeah, he accused me of stealing. So I fucking quit. What? Yeah, but you know, I have or well, had that interview at T Mobile, so uh yeah. They asked me to wear a fucking tie, but and you know how I feel about wearing a fucking tie. Why don't you just wear a tie? Sorry, you know what my rules are. Oh, God, brother. What? I also could do uh, some nice, you know, fun. What? What? What'd you say? What'd you hear? Now, I will say that that energy of that scene, I was like, I love this movie. What I love about Soderbergh is the way that he handles dialogue and these scenes. And, and I think he captures something. I don't know the ratio to what was written or what was performed. But these opening two scenes, like these like chunkier scenes, feel really natural, like really natural, like you're a fly on the wall. And I think that like when Soderbergh's at his best, like you're a fly on the wall and you don't feel like it's claustrophobic. Like it's like you're just watching this. And yes, he's a fuck up and all that sort of stuff. But I like him. Like he's got the same kind of energy that Channing has, or at least that's what I feel. I grow to not like him that much. And I was, and then at the end, and when I'm in the middle of two, I'm like, I hate that kid. I, I have to go back to what I thought when I first saw it because I was like, oh, I like him. He's okay, but he's kind of nothing. I don't understand why. I guess maybe I'm I retroactively mad at him because I'm like, oh, you were high. You, we had to watch you when Tarzan is over here is more interesting. Like, well, you know, when Big Dick Richie is more interesting, when Tito's more interesting. Like, why do we have to watch you? To be fair, when I was watching this again with my boyfriend, we were debating like who we thought was the hottest guy. He right. actually was very much team kid, which okay. he, I, really? I think, he, yeah. And I was kind of bummed because like on the IMDb for Magic Mike 3, it looks like he's in the third one. So I was pretty excited to see like how Alex Pettifer has been since an actor because he was also part of that Channing Tatum cluster of who's going to be our next star, who's going to be our next star kind of flamed out pretty fast. And I've been curious to keep up with him because he's still pretty young. And I I thought he had things in here, even though you can tell on the press tour for this that people are like, I don't know, we're going to treat you a little bit like a piece of meat. Right. I, I mean, and there is something really kind of, you know, he's a 19 year old. I, I like 
him getting intoxicated by this world. But then, of course, because I'm a magic mic head now, I did my research and Channing Tatum hated him. They were at each other's throats. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Basically, Channing Tatum said to him, no one likes you. You know that. Like, uh, there's all these stories. He talked about it, uh, Alex did, on uh, the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. But basically, like, it seems to me that Alex uh, was having some trouble. He had broken up with his girlfriend at the time and was accused of hitting her. And that was this actress, Diana Agron. Uh, like he was apparently very controlling and paranoid throughout their relationship. And, and he basically like was yelling at her in public and, and it felt like things were bad. She moved to a hotel under a fake name so he couldn't find her and they couldn't be at the same events. And so he came into this movie with all this heat on him. Of being oh, that was this at the same time. At the same time, and his and his agents are saying to him, "Keep your head down, don't do anything, don't say anything, because you may not be able to work again." And and that was, you know, his, in his defense, his energy was: I did my work, I put my headphones in, and I got quiet. And I think that that started to set off everything with the crew. He got into a fight with Channing Tatum's friend who he was renting an apartment from. And he didn't pay that guy. He said he forgot it. Like it's, it seems like a real clusterfuck. And he's now taking a lot of ownership over what he did. So whether or not he came in there thinking he was cool and not, but whatever he was, he was out, didn't like it for the reshoots. He had to come back in and there was a tension. Uh, and so a lot of people have hypothesized that like, Channing was like, and we're not putting him in it. We're and we're not we're not putting him in it, and we're going to basically write him out with one line. So I just thought that was actually really interesting that there's so much drama going on here, you know. And and conversely, I was surprised that oh wow, you don't bring back Matthew McConaughey for the sequel because he's so kind of electric too. And I want to talk about Matthew McConaughey, but like, and the reason there was like oh scheduling, and now it's come out. Well, it's not scheduling; it's just that. McConaughey was like, I can't get close to that character again. I can't do that again. I can't top it. Now, again, right. he almost like got an Oscar nom for that whole yeah. raging campaign. Well, by the way, that was a really interesting time. I feel like this is the time of like the McConaughey, the right? Like it was yeah. like, hey, he would pop up in a movie and you're like, he's a genius. I mean, he does have the greatest intro. Last one, ladies. Can you tell us this? Can you fucking touch this? That, too, the law says that you cannot touch. But I think I see a lot of lawbreakers up in this house. Here. And I don't see a cop in sight. I mean, I have a theory that this character of Dallas has watched the movie Dazed and Confused starring an actor named Matthew McConaughey so many times because he just keeps quoting his own characters. All I right, know. All right, all right, all right, all right. And also he's kind of playing the same character, like, the older man in this world who's leading people down a crooked path. They feel, they feel related. He feels like a fan. There was something about this character. And I think this character rides a lot on McConaughey's coattails. We like him. We're into him. I'm going to go out with a hot take and say, I think he was underwritten. I think that some of the more interesting things about Dallas are said about him when he's not on screen. We don't really see him truly reveal the other side that much maybe in that 
confrontation after the uh the the like the sorority party gone wrong but like he's an interesting character like he doesn't let his guard down for the camera as much as we like. I think that what we like is we like seeing Matthew McConaughey play the bongos. He clearly is set up for this final moment. Like when he strips, it's like the movie is building to that. Um, and we like him. But I do believe in this McConaughey it's not one of his best performances, but because we know him and we love him, we are imbuing this performance with all of that. We're giving much more to this performance than what is on the page or what he did. And he's great, but well, it's think, not great. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? <laughs> well, I think there's something in his character that with just a couple tweaks could actually really capture this movie as a whole. You know, the movie that Soderbergh is trying to even make, the conflicts within this movie. Because it's like you watch Dallas and you have to kind of decide, do I think Dallas is cool? Or do I think Dallas is cheesy yes. and sad? You're and right. Both are sort of true when you look at it. And it's kind of which one do you pick? Is he charming and funny or does he look a little desperate up there? Does he look a little too tired to be doing this, a little not into doing this? Do I believe that all of these women like tore off his G-string, which actually the extras did. So that that's very true. They totally tore off his G-string as soon as he got near the crowd. Do I think when he walks out there wearing a tasseled G-string? tasseled in the front and the back wearing something that to me does not look sexy at all do i believe that that is sexy and by the way that was really like a mcconaughey idea like he told the costume designer i want to outdo everybody else i need the craziest outfit i want it to be kind of rock and roll western and they were like should it look like you have a horse tail coming out of your ass and he was like yeah so do you see that and you're like oh yeah this movie's hot or are you like this is sad. You need to get out of this business. You hit the nail on the head once again, articulating something I couldn't put my finger on with him. You're right. It's like he is. I mean, look, when you put him up against those guys, there's, you know, there, there's no doubt that he is. Look, he's definitely older, but he's also Matthew McConaughey. We come in going, you are cool. We like you. We think you're sexy. And it's hard to lose what we know of Matthew McConaughey to make a judgment on this character. I mean, it, like that's what I think is the bump, right? If it was somebody else doing it, we might have a clearer idea of what this character is, but we like him. You know, we feel like he and Channing are on the same page. Uh, you know, they're just trying to make it get ahead. But again, the more interesting stuff, like the most interesting thing was that line about like, how Dallas would treat his kids or, you know, like when they're on the sandbar party. Oh, but it's he's like, like, fuck school. Finished high school, but if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't even have gone to high school. No, no fucking one. Does that mean you don't believe in school at all? I think fuck school altogether. When I have a kid, I'm going to set him in front of the TV, make him watch Mad Money all day long. I'm going to teach him about the stock market, get him into some Ameritrade and shit like that. I guarantee you, by the time he's 18, that little fucker's going to be flushing cash. Period. You know, I don't know why more people don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, just from an investment standpoint. Well, that's the state of the country, man. America. People. Stupid. Well, I hope I get to meet your kids someday. Oh, no problem. Come visit anytime in one of our three pool houses, dude. After he gives this whole fuck school thing, like the first thing Channing Tatum does is like quietly make fun of it. Like, well, he can be your life coach if right. you want. Yeah. But when Dallas isn't hearing him because he's not going to do it in front of him. 
I just so I I get what they were trying to do, and I think maybe I'm saying they've missed a mark here as well, which is like, should Dallas have been the one to get him to sell drugs on the side? Like, you know, or it seems like everything starts to get a little muddy. It's like, oh, we're going to do a little of this. We're going to do a little of this. And it just, I mean, maybe it's life isn't this simple, but it just, it left me going, huh. And again, I like this character. The movie's wants like I love the scene with him and the kid like him teaching him how to strip but there's this weird balance of like mentor older guy mentor aging out but it's not like he's not aging out but he is uh, well and there's something so gross even about how he's teaching the kid to dance yeah not most of it most of it I kind of like when he's like you're taking your clothes off like a 12 year old boy right now right fucking now take them off every fucking one let's go Let's go. Take off. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What the fuck are you doing, man? Are you a 12-year-old in the locker room? No. What the fuck are you doing? Taking off my you're clothes. taking off your clothes like a 12-year-old in the fucking locker room. But you're not a 12-year-old in the locker room. You are the man on the stage. Thousands of women. Eyes on you. You are their vision. So what do you do? You don't just fucking throw your clothes off, do you? You fucking make it count, baby. You walk out. You own it. But right after that scene, the way he articulates what he thinks women wants to see is he's like, you stick it. And it just sounds so, so gross. I don't know why. The way he's like, stick it, stick it over and over again. And he looks like this kind of mean, naked rattlesnake. And he's in that kind of goofy crop top, which is one of those things where I'm like, are you doing this for the laughs? Are you doing this because you think Dallas would wear that? I don't know if I think that Dallas would wear that. I don't know how to blend that into what I know of Dallas. But yeah, it's like in that moment, I'm like, does he understand what women want? Because I'm not totally sure he understands what women want. Does this movie understand what women want? Because Magic Mike himself is like, I have an idea for a cooler show, not the Paw Patrol shit. And I feel like what he does in a little bit in the second movie, a lot in the Vegas live show and pretty much entirely in all of Magic Mike 3 is you see the kind of show that Magic Mike thinks is cool, which is very different from the show that we have here that Dallas does. I mean, his like the Magic Mike shows, the guys are basically just wearing like plain T-shirts and jeans. They're like, that's what women want. You want a dude in plain T-shirt, jeans, sneakers, dancing his ass off with great abs. You don't need a fireman. You don't need a hose. You don't need an axe. You don't need props. And I think in doing that, well, I mean, well, you could you could kind of go back and forth. That's the opening tableau. But then we're going into full Renaissance painter. You know, we have that like moment where, you know, Tarzan is painting that woman and he does essentially a magic trick. And then we have like that fuck swing moment. Like they're, they're doing the marriage thing. Donald Glover doing his improvised songs. Like there's a lot of shit going on. It's, it's not simple, Amy. What <laughs> okay, I would say true. is, you're right. It's more the live show in the third one, which but is what third I, one. If you think this one oh, is the third oh, one, well, is just... don't, no spoilers. Okay. Uh, but what I would say is what I love and coming back to the bigger idea of these two movies is we are all selling ourselves in the business of entertainment, right? I think that that is, it doesn't make a difference if you're a sex worker or if you're a fucking movie star, you're making these choices, you're exposing, you're opening yourself to certain things, ways to people get in at you. Now, whether or not you can close it off, let that be for whoever the different 
people have different ways of dealing with that, but you are, you're putting everything out there and the biggest stars really do. And, and I think the second film is much more like, well, if I'm going to do that, let me do it on my own terms. And I think that that's a really interesting, you know, bookends of these two movies. It's like, right. I can take control over at least how my narrative is put out there. I can take control over my story. I don't have to just do what has come before me. And that to me is really, as these two films back to back, that's incredibly powerful to me, like as a story of owning your own sexuality, owning your own like want. Like there's a line in Magic Mike 2, I can't believe I'm talking about this in this way, but where you know, Magic Mike says to Richie, like, do you like dancing to that song? Like, if it wasn't your song, would you, like, he's like, well, it crushes. It's like, but do you like it? And that, to me, is Channing Tatum going, I'll make a $7 million Magic Mike movie instead of doing G.I. Joe 2. Not that that was offered or whatever, but it's like, it's the belief in, let me make the thing that I want to do. Well, speaking of having control over your image, having control over your sexuality. I got to say two things. One, in Magic Mike 2, the Joe Manganiello dancing in the convenience store. If I could only take a few images in all of cinema with me to my grave, that would be one of them. I love that. It just has the perfect blend of comedy, grace, humor, his face as he's like, what am I doing? Cutting to the, cutting to the woman's face as she's like, what is he doing? Everything in that scene is just magic. And if I could project that on a wall in my house and just kind of have it looping all the time, I would totally do that. Um, I love that scene as well. And I want to just point out something that you just said. You know, the the premise for that whole dance is make that woman smile, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and you were talking about how Matthew McConaughey's character is like thrust, thrust at them right and i like the 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 sweeter version of it in a way it's like no no like just go just get her get her to look at you and smile like there's always that thing that women say and i've seen a million times where they're walking down the street and a man's like hey smile smile wouldn't hurt you to smile and they're not doing any reason they're not giving the woman any reason to smile and i do like this again it's like that shifting of power dynamics like you go in there and you work your ass off to get her to smile and there's exactly something right. so endearing. Yeah, I love that. You're right. And that is a big shift from the first one to the second one. Because I feel like the first one is just a wall of women who scream. That's just yes. really all the women are. They just scream. And then there's Cody Horn who just tries really hard not to be amused, watches him dance once and then leaves, basically. And like his dancing doesn't have any real pull on her. And the second one is more about like, how does their dancing, how does their performance like affect women a little bit you know like they're they're at least there you at least get to know the participants is more than just a bunch of screamers the third one we will talk about but the third one is different than these two um what do you think you know in a movie that is predominantly men and i and i think that you know even magic mike too there's a lot of like fun accidents that happen right because jimmy fox was supposed to be the part that jada pinkett smith plays in Magic Mike 2. Jada Pinkett Smith is phenomenal. And I know we're kind of talking about both movies. She's unbelievable. And she had this part that was written for Jamie Foxx. He had to drop out at the last second. She comes in. And what she brings to this 
And I think this is, again, a tip of the hat, like I was saying earlier, like we get to see the drag world. We get to see like the Southern, more black strip club world. We, you know, we're seeing different things. We're not like, I thought there would be more of a, a competition element at the end where we're seeing a bunch of different types, but you don't even need it. But I do like that we've opened it up a little bit. And I think this is a movie about men and men giving women this amazing time, but these men actually aren't like gross about it. They're not trying to like, you know, fuck all these women. Like, but I do think it's like kind of great in that moment with Donald Glover where he's talking about, he's like, yeah, I just, I get to meet these people. I get to do this. It's like, it's not, there's a whole energy in Magic Mike too that's very sweet. Like, I just, I'm uh, shy and this is the way I can get in. And I, I like to make women feel good. And then you see this amazing, you know, you see this very strong woman who I think is the strongest character in the whole movie of, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith's character who's going to emcee the night. You know, she's emceeing all these men coming out. She's like running the show and we see her running the show in the South. And that's like the strongest woman that we've seen throughout all these films. But this is a movie that is about like female, like, well, I would say like, do you think that feminism plays a part in this movie? Are these feminist films or are these a buddy picture with a, like a, 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 like an ensemble buddy movie with guys that just have a different plot point that women can also watch? What do you think about that? I would not call these feminist films. Okay. But I would say that they are films that recognize that women have desire. Right. And that's at least something, you know, and I feel like that's rare enough that it is important. And they make them out to be, I think what they do really well is show you a wide swath of women who, of all shapes and sizes, and of all ages. And they all are, I think, very much treated respectfully. They're having a fun time, but they're not like, oh my God, I can't get in my car because these women are fucking animals. Like, you know, it's like, they're not like dumbing them down in any way. I mean, they're at a strip club, they're having a good time, they're going to be you know, raucous and have a good time, but there's like a respect. I I don't know. I do think that there's an intentionality. Yeah. The way Andy McDowell comes in and she is like sexy, cool, strong. And the movie is tender to her as well. Yes. Can I conversely then shit talk on what I think is the weakest link of these two movies? Yeah. I think the two love interests are weak. I like the love interest more in the first movie, I think that she's pretty boring. I don't think she has much to do. I like that last scene. It really saved a lot for me. But I have to say that Amber Heard's character felt so fake to me. Like, if it was the only time in these movies that I felt like someone was reading lines or something. There was something. I was like, what is this character? Like, and why does he care? And what is this? Like, I don't, I didn't, I at least understood what the sister represented to him in a way. And I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand that's not Amber Heard's fault. That is, I think a scripting issue. I was like, what are we doing here? Why are we complicating it? And it's like, his whole thing was like, I'm going to make her finally smile. But I'm like, huh? Yeah. I don't get why these movies need to have love interests for magic Mike anyway. Yes. Right. Because his main relationship should be with the crowd. I, I agree. That's why I think that they do replace sex in these movies. Like, yes, you'll see like post coital, but it's like, it's not about the sex. It's about the dancing is that that's what it is, you know? And, but I do think I, I just didn't understand that relationship. I, it, it bummed me out because 
I just was like, that scene when they're in the wine cellar, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, what am I? Wa-? Like, wh- I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, I, I especially don't get it from. I mean, it's weird because it's like, well, then do they dumb it down too much where it's like, all we want to do is make women smile. And I see a sad woman and I got to make her smile. I'm like, well, that just seems weird, too. You know, <laughs> uh, I, like now I'm like creeped out by it. Like, it's a weird line. That they're walking. I think that they they actually in both films execute it really well. I'm interested to see how Soderbergh comes back into it, because what you're saying about the claustrophobic nature of it, you know, um, oh, I'm I was interested to talk to you about it because it's it's crazier. I literally thought when this when the second movie started, I was like, oh, shit, like, man, Soderbergh is awesome. Like, this is like this looks beautiful. And then I was like, oh, he didn't direct this one. Uh, I realized that afterwards, you know, I was like, oh, it's interesting, like. The air that's let into the second movie, I think, really lets it fly. And I do think that people want to see that. I, You know, I keep on hearing all these stories about, you know, this dance. This dance is going to be so intense with Selma Hayek. Um, I'm curious to see it. I, I am. And 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 look, if I could have hit play on the, the third one last night, I would have. I just I want to know what's happening with these characters. Uh, I want to see. And uh, I know a little bit, I think of where this one's starting. And it just feels to me like, uh, you know, this is a movie where every three years you could basically say, Hey Mike, can you come back and do one last show? And they'll be like, okay, because it's not like, he's just not when breaking I thought it. I was out. I'm going to stick it back in. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, he's just doing one show. He, he can do it. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, Hey Mike, I got a problem. Come to London, solve my problem. Like, it just seems like he can come in and you don't have to like rewrite his whole life. But you want to bend while blanc him? Yes, I do. <laughs> like in a way, because it's like you know. Like, but I, I, but it feels like they're going down the darker road again, and or uh, you know, it feels. I mean, from what I've seen, it feels full Monty and like oh fuck, he messed up. You know, no one's buying that furniture anymore. But uh, I, but I will say to all of this, I think it's interesting to go back to Soderbergh. I love Soderbergh. But I wonder if he's the perfect mix for what I think people love about these movies. Um, And this goes back to the bigger conversation about Channing Tatum obviously had a different idea for this movie if he wanted Nicholas Refingwen to direct it. Like, it's different. There's no way that this is this successful, this popular, or probably even has two sequels. Um, And it felt like, oh, you really learned all your lessons, but now I'm nervous as I go into three. Maybe he wanted to do a sequel just because horror upon horrors. When uh, this movie went to the MTV Movie Awards, Channing Tatum was nominated for Best Shirtless Performance. His uh, fellow nominees were Christian Bale in Dark Knight Rises, Daniel Craig in Skyfall, Taylor Lautner in Breaking Dawn Part 2, Seth MacFarlane in Ted. I will tell you that Channing Tatum lost, but I want you to guess who he lost to. Taylor Lautner, no problem. You are so right. Here's his acceptance speech. For all of us that do take our shirts off, McConaughey, Tatum, Lena Dunham, this is it. Congratulations. I will say they only had best shirtless performance for two more years after that, and Zac Efron swept both times. So Channing Tatum has never won. (laughs) Well, you know what? Sometimes, like we talk about this a lot, the second place, uh, the runner-up is always really the true winner in life. So I remember the build up to Magic Mike coming out very well. I remember that Magic Mike, I thought at the time, got 
kinder reviews, probably because of all the hype, because of all the happiness. Everybody's like, oh my God, a movie about men taking off their shirts. It felt so novel that I think people did grade it on an easier curve. Uh, one of the critics who did give it a negative review was Kenneth Turan from the LA Times. Love Kenneth. And this is what he wrote. I didn't always yearn to be a film critic. I had other aspirations, other dreams. Being a male stripper, however, was never one of them. And nothing I saw in Magic Mike made me want to change my mind. Life cannot be lived entirely on stage. And once the characters have to take off their thongs and return to their real lives, the movie goes nowhere that is either interesting, involving, or surprising. Tatum displays charisma and style, but he and Horn have less chemistry than Abe Lincoln and the vampires he hunts. If filmmaker Soderbergh had paid as much attention to relationship dynamics as he does to dance number mechanics, this film would have gotten closer to living up to the magic in its name. You know, the sheer force of Channing Tatum elevates Magic Mike. First of all, the dancing is amazing. Like you're going to walk, if you're going to walk away with anything, it's the dancing. It's awesome. I think that that opening scene, I think that that closing scene, you get, you like this guy. I like him. I'm so glad it's not Channing Tatum who's going down the drug path. I think that that's probably the smartest move they made in the entire film. Like, yes, we like this, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't, we don't want to sully him. Let him be Mike. Let him be Mike. A little dopey, really trying hard. Sweet, nice, lovable. Yeah. And I think you you set up these guys and all the guys are, even Matt Bomer isn't like super seedy about it. It's it's weird. They're doing something. I really do believe that this movie lives and dies by one person and it's Mike. I think that you put the cherry on top, which is Matthew McConaughey, and this movie is a hit. You change the casting of this. This movie does not work. Uh, I mean, first of all, you can't just, you can't deny how fucking good he is as a dancer. I mean, it's insane it's unreal um, he is our gene kelly of this generation absolutely and i do think that you know for me i'm very much of the opinion where it's like if i have a good star performance and i'm engaged by them and i'm smiling which i was the entire film and like because i feel like he's flirting with me i'm not questioning too much more about it i'm just like yep i'm in you know like i'm i'm in my little world with this guy so like let's do it like and I'm okay with that. Like, I feel like that's that's what makes this movie, that's what elevates that movie, in my opinion. The more I think of it, because when I see number two, I'm like, oh, now you've figured it out. Like, now you're like, what do people like? We're going to do it. Keep it on this level. And it was it was such a fun, it was um, it was exactly what you wanted. It was, it was the upgrade. It was XXL. It was great. Well, then I want to say this. Uh, One movie that this movie made me want to watch because I feel like it's a perpendicular counterpart of a sort is Working Girl. We've talked about this movie. I think we should put that on our docket for later this year. What do you think? Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like an underdog climbing up the financial ladder. Can you do it sort of movie with a touch of romance? You know what, Amy? Just like Magic Mike, we are not going to do the same old thing anymore. No, next week we are doing a very special episode with the Chapo Trap House. That's right. The Chapo Trap House is coming on to our show and they're going to be talking about some movies that are important to them, but more importantly, that figure into their brand new miniseries about the 30 Years War. We also have a very special announcement about a brand new Chapo Trap House show All this and more next week. We're going to be talking about uh, so many great movies. I loved having these guys on the show. If you are fans, uh, 
then it's going to be a treat. If you don't know who the Chapo Trap House are, get ready. They are very opinionated. They have a lot of thoughts about film, and they also have this great podcast about the 30 Years War that's available on their Patreon. Anyway, next week, you will hear more about that when you tune in to Unspooled. And you can find Magic Mike streaming wherever you stream your films, or also check out uh, Canopy, which is your service that is provided by the local public library. Well, Amy, until next week, but a big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find the unspooled show and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like screen test on Stitcher Premium. And for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show, you can head on over to unspooledpod.com. Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink, or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.